Exodus chapter 3, Moses, he's tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert. He came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And so he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. I don't know if you spent more than a few hours out in the wilderness away from cell phone reception, but once you don't have any toys to play with, right? No ATVs or swamp buggies or guns or things to do. Any little thing is like a huge occurrence out in the woods, right? You see an animal and you're freaking out because you saw an animal, right? And any little thing can be something miraculous and crazy in the wilderness. But now Moses sees a bush on fire, which isn't that uncommon, out in a dry desert with lightning striking these dry bushes. It would happen all the time. But for whatever reason, this thing would not burn. And Moses being a guy, I think all guys are sort of pyromaniacs at the heart, right? From little kids to grown men. Last Monday we had a young adults barbecue. And again, one guy's doing all the work at the grill. But all the guys just slowly start coming around the fire, right? Just start hanging out there. Something about guys and fire. But Moses, he goes out there. He looks at the fire. And then verse 4. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. It tells us here the angel of the Lord, or the Lord in verse 4, spoke to Moses, uttered his name, right? And it's Jesus here appearing to Moses and wanting to give Moses a great calling. Jesus, before he's born of Mary, raised by Mary and Joseph, he comes to give a special message and calling for Moses. Some scriptures that Tell us here that this isn't God himself, but Jesus, right? The Godhead. John chapter 1, verse 18, you could just write this down. It says, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Now let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll look at verse 13 through 16. And again, this is special because Paul is in the midst of reminding Timothy about his calling. Timothy, this is your calling. This is what you have to do. This is what God has in store for you and your life. And right in the midst of him reminding him of his calling, he reminds him of who Jesus Christ is and was and always will be. So there in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 13 through 16, it tells us, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time, he who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. 
Again, Jesus, he gives one glimpse to the disciples of his true power and true nature there on the Mount of Transfiguration. Just a small glimpse of it. And when he reveals just a small glimpse of who he truly is, all the three disciples are flat on their faces because they cannot behold the beauty, the majesty, the bright light, brighter than the noonday as Jesus displays who he truly is. And again, this God... Christ Jesus, the all-powerful, all-knowing being, the one whom has created all things, the one whom by him and him alone all things exist and are alive right now, the one who alone has immortality, and yet how does he call Moses? Hey, you ex-con. Hey, fugitive. Hey, you sack of dirt. He says, Moses, Moses. He calls him by name. Again, he doesn't dumb down who he is, but yet he's willing to reach out and call Moses by name. The Lord, he has a habit of doing this. In Genesis 22, verse 11, you can just write down these scriptures. He calls him Abraham, Abraham. Genesis 22, 11. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 10, he reaches out to a young boy and he says, Samuel, Samuel. In Luke chapter 10, verse 41, he speaks to that sister working so hard and he says, Martha, Martha. Luke 22, verse 31, the stubborn fisherman, he'll say, Simon, Simon. Finally, Acts chapter 9, verse 4, probably the greatest enemy of the faith at the time. He reaches out and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Again, our God is all-knowing and all-powerful. No man has any right to come into his presence, and yet he's willing to call us by name and family he wants to call you by name he probably is calling you by name and he has a plan and purpose for every single one of your lives and he knows your true name he's not making a mistake he's not calling you something when that's really your brother or your sister's name go back to exodus chapter 3 he calls out and he says moses moses and take note of the way moses answers he says here i am again at your service lord Whatever you have for me, whatever you want to say to me, Lord, I am here. Right away in verse 5, he gives him two commandments. He says, do not draw near to this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. What the Lord is telling Moses here is he's saying, Moses, we are not the same. I am all powerful. I am all knowing. I am God, the creator of heaven and earth. You are a sinner. You cannot draw any nearer to me. I know you're a guy. I know you want to see what's going on with the fire and stuff like that. But you cannot draw any nearer to me. We are two different beings. You have no right to be in my presence. Then he tells them, take your sandals off your feet. And even today within Eastern culture, this is still a common thing. That when you go into a holy place or you go into someone's shoes, you take off your shoes or your sandals because it is a holy place. 
couple years back. I don't think we do it that much anymore. But even within the United States, right, there was a certain level of respect and holiness that if you walked into a building, you would take off your hat. If someone would start praying, you'd take off your hat. National Anthem, Pledge of Allegiance, you would take off your hat because this was a holy thing. Robert Jameson, he says, this is a confession of personal defilement and conscience unworthiness to stand in the presence of unspotted holiness. Family, have you ever truly been in the presence of God? I worship right now, just a little taste of it. Do you feel worthy of being there? Or do you have this sort of sense of a disconnect like, whoa, whoa, I got to step back here. I have no business being here right now. Again, that's going to really reveal where your heart and relationship is with the Lord. But again, even God reminding Moses, hey, you are you, a sinner, a human being, and I am God. Yet look at how Moses reveals himself to him. How does he call himself? He doesn't say, I'm the God, the creator of heaven and earth. I'm the creator of earth. I'm going to be the destroyer of earth. I'm the judge of all mankind. I'm the Alpha and Omega. No. God refers to himself by the relationships he has with Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob. Again, the Lord, he's not only a personal God that wants to call us out by name, but he's a God of relationships. He wants to have those same tight-knit relationships that he had with our forefathers of the faith. And again, Moses, he knows he's unholy. He's trying to hide his face from God. He's afraid to look upon the holy righteousness of Jesus Christ. So he's there. He's hiding his face. He's taking off his sandals. He knows it's holy ground. Probably the craziest thing he's ever seen in the desert. Craziest thing he's ever seen. Verse 7, the Lord says, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrow. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore behold, The cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. The Lord is showing us that he has seen, he has heard, and he knows the sorrows and the state of life, the oppression that the Israelites are going through. Again, family, this shows us that we serve a compassionate God. If right now you're going through a difficult season, Family members are leaving you. Friends are leaving you. You've been going through loss of life. The Lord hears your cry. The Lord knows the state that you're in. And the Lord, he wants to send help. Perhaps he's already sent help. Maybe it's through his word, but he wants to send help. The Lord is now saying that he's ready to come down and deliver the Israelites and bring them out of the land of Egypt to a good and large land. The 400 years of pain and agony have now come to an end and God was beginning to plan his perfect plan and reveal it to Moses and speak to him. So again, first nine verses, wow, Lord, this is amazing. I'm speaking to God himself. I can sense his presence. I can sense his holiness. Verse 10, come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. 
Again, God has chosen Moses to carry out this task. Just as the Lord today uses people for his plans and purposes and tasks, even though he doesn't need us. He didn't need Moses. The Lord, we see that he's going to send a bunch of crazy plagues and weather. He could have done that to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians. He could have just killed all the Egyptians and raised up one of the Hebrew slaves to be the leader and lead them out to the promised land. Just like he did with Abraham, right? He spoke to Abraham as a friend and he called him out to the promised land. Opposite direction, but the same sort of idea here, right? In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, such an important verse for us. It tells us, we then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Family, again, do you realize the grace of God that has been given to you, that has been poured out on you? Now, are you just wasting it away? Are you just living a life of waste? You're saying, Lord, what's, Lord, I know you've poured out so much grace on my life, but Lord, what's the most wasteful life I can live? Lord, what's the furthest I can live away from you that I still get heaven? Right? Everybody still wants heaven. But Lord, what's the most wasteful life I can live and still get heaven? Again, hopefully that's not us that we're saying, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to live for you. Lord, I want to be holy as you are holy. But then in the beginning of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, We then as workers together with him. That as I'm preparing the teaching, the Bible study, Christ is there with me. Hey, Zach, don't use that analogy. Use this one instead, right? As you're serving the Lord in parking lot and you're trying to tell people where to park, the Lord is saying, hey, give that guy a little bit of an extra smile. They had a really bad week, right? As you're there with the kiddos, wherever you're at, the Lord Jesus Christ is literally serving alongside of you. Again, who do you look up to in this life? There are people in our lives that if they would ask us, hey, do you want to come help me out on a project? You would be blown away. You would jump in right away. They wouldn't even have to pay you, right? I don't know why it comes to mind, but I think especially for the ladies, right? If Chip and Joanne would call you up and say, hey, I need help remodeling this house. Would you mind coming and helping me out? Sign me up, right? You don't even have to pay me. Right? For some of the guys here maybe, what if Tua called you up? He said, hey, next Sunday, I need, I need a new water boy, man. Do you, do you think you can come? They'd be like, yeah, man, I'll go. You don't even have to pay me. I'll go for free. And yet what Jesus Christ is inviting each and every one of us, what the Lord invites Moses to do is say, hey, you want to come serve with me? You want to come work with me? But how do we look at it? Do we look at it with that same man, Lord, who in the world am I to be with Chip and Joanna, right? Who in the world am I to hang out with them, right? To be able to give to his water bottle, right? I'm really the, the helper of the dolphins, right? Whatever it is. Is that the way we see the, the blessing and the honor and the privilege of serving Jesus? And again, serving, it could be here at church, but even with your family. We'll look at that later on. Verse 11, right? I think we're all on board. We're all signing up. But verse 11, Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Again, two things to look at here. The first thing is, man, this is pretty beautiful. Forty years ago, Moses thought he was the chosen one, right? 
40 years ago, as we looked at Acts last week, Moses thought, there's no doubt, once I kill this one Egyptian, the two million slaves, they're all going to jump on board and we're going to overthrow. We're going to kill the Egyptian government from the inside out, right? We're going to rot them out. We're going to win. We're going to destroy them all. And yet when Moses kills the first soldier and he looks at them, what do they do? Dude, are you going to kill me too, right? Right away, they start hurling insults at him. 40 years ago, he thought he could do it in his own might, in his own flesh. 40 years ago, he thought he was all that in a bag of chips. Right? Grandpappy de la película. That's who Moses thought he was 40 years ago. But now he's saying, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Second thing for us to look at here is the Lord does nothing to help Moses out with his self-esteem. It seems like Moses has a self-esteem problem here, right? Lord, I'm, I'm not worthy to go. Lord, I can't do it. I can't handle it. What does the Lord do? Does God all of a sudden turn from a burning bush into a mirror? And he says, okay, Moses, look into me. Repeat after me. I am strong. Right? Okay, Moses, repeat after me. I am brave. Okay, Moses, repeat after me. I am beautiful. Right? Moses, repeat after me. I can. Is that what the Lord does? All the Lord says to him in verse 12 is, hey, I am going to be with you. I will certainly be with you. Moses, let's not talk about this. We both know that you have no business going and doing this. But hey, I'm going to be with you. And again, our self-esteem, it needs to be biblical. It shouldn't be that one person raises our self-esteem and one person lowers it. Our self-esteem, our self-worth needs to be biblical. First and foremost, as humans, we are made in the image of God himself. Every human life, you're here today, you should have a high self-worth because God looked at all of creation and he said, you know who I want to make like me? Zach. Or put in your name there. He wanted to make you in his own image. That's the first reason why we should have a right view of ourselves. Secondly, as human beings, God sent his only begotten son for us. For us. Not for any animal. Not for any insect, not for the stars, not for the trees, not for the grass or palm trees. God sent his only begotten son to save your life, to save my life. Again, imagine if a nation sent their entire army to save one person's life. We would say, man, that life has a lot of value. It's so important. And yet God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to live a perfect life, die taking our place to resurrect so that we wouldn't have to go to hell forever. The Lord loves you. The Lord sees you as a super important person. He was willing to give up his own son to die for you. Lastly, as human beings made in the image of God, in view of the sacrifice of Jesus for our lives, if we are still alive right now, and looking around, I I think everybody's still alive, right? The Lord, he still has a plan and purpose for your life. I would say 1%, maybe 5% of us in here are actively doing something right now to keep ourselves alive, right? Maybe you have an insulin pump. Maybe you're taking certain medicine to keep yourself alive. If you would stop, you would die, right? If we're honest, most of us, the way we eat and live and exercise, we're doing all we can to not be alive, right? If we're being honest with ourselves. So the Lord, he has a plan and purpose for you. 
What are you doing right now to keep your heart pumping, to keep your lungs expanding? It is only the gift of God, and he has a plan and purpose for you. So again, the Lord's not saying, hey, Zach, you're super special, you're super amazing. He says, no, Zach, hey, I am going to be with you. And that's the same thing the Lord is telling us this morning. If you're willing to walk with me and live with me, hey, Zach, the creator of heaven and earth, wants to walk with you. The savior of mankind wants to talk with you each and every day. The author and finisher of our faith, he wants to sit down at breakfast with you. He wants to help you raise your kids. He wants to help you at work. God himself wants to be with us on the missions and the callings that he's given us. And that is enough, right? That should be enough. That is enough. Then verse 12 Right? It's pretty funny. Hey, Moses, this will be the sign that I am going to be with you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Hey, Moses, once you've already taken the people out and you come and you're serving here on this mountain, it's going to be a sign that I was actually with you all along, right? It's kind of like, what? Like, that makes no sense. God, what are we talking about? So, again, we do need to live a life of faith. Another way for us to look at the scripture is God is saying, Moses, would you look around for a second? You're talking to a burning bush that is not being consumed. You know you're in the presence of God. You're afraid for your life. You can see and know the holiness that I am and the sin in your heart. This should be enough, right? This should be enough to know that I am with you, that I'm speaking to you right now. And this mission, this calling that I have for your life, I'm going to keep you and take care of you. Verse 13, Moses He says to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What am I going to say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Again, our God is a personal God, but this word, this term, It's basically verbatim in the Hebrew. I am who I am. This is where we get the name of God, Yahweh. This is where we get this name that the Hebrew people, it was such a holy name that they didn't want to put the vowels in there. And they would write it differently because it was too holy for them to touch. Again, the Lord is saying, God, the creator of heaven and earth, I am the one that sent you. That's all you have to tell them. The Lord is saying, the creator of heaven and earth, the destroyer of heaven and earth, I am the one that is sending you. One of the scholars said that, man, if you would do a a mathematical equation, most of us are probably here because we don't want to do any more mathematical equations, right? But if you would take God and you put an equal sign, there's nothing else that can be there except God. There's no other equal. He's saying, I am who I am has sent you. The God, the timeless God, right? Everything in our minds works with a beginning and with an end. Everything, life. Business is right. You hire a contractor for your house. How long have you been in business, right? You get a new barber, a new person to cut your hair. How long have you been doing this, right? At least I ask them that, right? Everything in our mindset has a beginning and end. And God is saying, I've always existed. I've always been around. Again, our minds can't really comprehend that. And God is saying, God, Yahweh, I am the one that sent you. And when you tell them this, they're going to know. And now Jesus, he uses this same name. In John chapter 8, verse 24, he says, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. But if you do not believe that I am, 
He, you will die in your sins. John chapter 8, verse 28. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. John chapter 13, verse 19. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am. Right? When the soldiers go to take Jesus and they say, hey, where's this Jesus of Nazareth? He says, I am. And all the soldiers fall back, right? Got to think that, man, they were eating humble pie right there, right? We're here to arrest this guy and he just speaks his name and they all fall back. Looking around, still go to arrest him. This is Jesus himself. He is enough. Go back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 15. Moreover, the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go, gather the elders of Israel together, And say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. And then... They will heed your voice, and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not even by a mighty hand. Again, the Lord tells Moses, go to them. Tell them, I am the God of their fathers. He doesn't do a brand new work. He doesn't say, hey, I'm a brand new God here. He says, no, I'm the same God of your fathers, the same relationship I had with them. I want to have with you. And now I've come to free you from the years of your affliction. And now the Lord, he's so good to Moses. He doesn't want him to have unmet expectations Right? We know Moses, he has a pretty low view of himself right now. He doesn't want him to be hurt the moment that Pharaoh tells him no. He tells him in verse 18, hey, the people of Israel, they're going to heed your voice. Which, you know, 40 years ago, they weren't willing to heed his voice. They were right away accusing him, worrying that Moses was going to kill them. But in verse 19, he says, hey, I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. And family, along the road of us being obedient to our calling, there's going to be some people that they're going to heed it right away. You're going to share the gospel with them. You're going to invite them to church. They're going to come. They're going to love it. They're going to get saved, become your best friend for the rest of your life. But there's other people that even if you would rain down fire from God, they're just not going to be willing. They're still going to hate you. They're still not going to want you because they hate the Lord and they don't want him. So the Lord, he's being upfront with Moses. Hey, the people, they're going to heed your voice. But the king of Egypt, 
He's not going to let you go even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. You see, slavery in ancient times usually was because of one of two reasons. Either one nation conquered another nation, and now they took the people and they brought them into slavery. Or secondly, people would have a debt that they could not pay, so they would sell themselves into slavery to pay off this debt. And now since Israel... They were not conquered by Egypt. And now since Israel, they had no debt to Egypt. Egypt just grew evil and this is what they did. The Lord using it for his glory. God would have Egypt pay what they owed to the nation of Israel for the many years of slavery. This is what the Lord is doing. This reminds me uh, when I got saved and really was, man, getting on fire, super excited for the things of God. I was still at Miami-Dade and I saw that they had an Old Testament religions class. I was like, oh, man, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be fantastic. Signed up. I was super excited. First day of class, the teacher goes on to basically say every miracle in the Bible is not a miracle. Right away, he goes on to say, you see, in Exodus, when they make a golden calf, there are a bunch of slaves in Egypt. There's no way they could have made a golden calf. What money would they have had in the middle of the desert to make a golden calf? I was about to answer and respond, but then within the same breath, he goes, listen, I've been doing this for decades. I don't want to hear your theology, your Bible verses, your scriptures. Your job in this class is to get an A and just do what I say, and that's it. I don't want to hear it. So I dropped the class the next day, right? I prayed. I said, Lord, is this really what you want me to do? Am I supposed to be here to share? And the Lord at that point, just getting right with God, was like, nope, not your role. But hey, maybe that's your calling. Now you have Exodus 3 and 4 and the rest of the book of Exodus. But chapter 4, verse 1 You think by now Moses would be down. He would be ready for what God had called him to do. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. Again, through these two chapters, we see Moses constantly arguing with a burning bush that cannot be consumed, right? Truly, he's arguing with Jesus Christ himself and the plans and purposes that he already has that he wants to bring Moses along for the ride. Can any of us relate here? The Lord says, hey, this is my plan. This is my purpose. I just want to bring you along for the ride. I I don't really need you, but I love you. I want to bring you along for the ride. It's going to be great for you and your family. And we're just arguing. We're just fighting. And How many things do we have in life that we worry about that will never happen, right? He says, Lord, let's suppose, right? Hey, God, creator of heaven and earth, did you think that this might happen, right? Hey, God, did you ever think about the backup plan to the backup plan, God? Did did you think this could happen? And so often we argue with the Lord about these things and we worry about things that never happen. And then if we're honest, we don't worry about the things that are sure to happen, right? Those loans, the extra credit cards, eh, they're not going to call me, right? They're not going to find me. 
That money just disappears, right? It goes out to nowhere. The things we should be concerned about, we're not. And now the things we should not be concerned about, man, we waste so much time. So often in meetings, one problem arises and we're ready to change everything. And I say, okay, guys, is this an epidemic or was this a one-time sort of deal? We got to be careful with that. But now the Lord in his grace, in his mercy, verse 2 and 3, he says, hey, Moses, what is that in your hand, right? Okay, almighty, all-powerful shepherd boy, right? What, what's your idea, 80-year-old guy? What's your idea? What's in your hand? He says, I have a rod. And he says, throw it on the ground. He throws it on the ground. It became a serpent, and Moses fled from it, right? So far from this mighty man within Egypt. He gets his stick. He throws it on the ground. It becomes a serpent. He freaks out. He runs away from it, right? And the Lord, he does the same thing to us. So often the Lord is calling us to do things. The Lord is asking us to share the gospel with someone, asking us to serve in a specific ministry, go out and start a new ministry. And we say, Lord, suppose these things happen, Lord. What if this happens? Lord, I know you want me to share. Man, just invite this old lady at Publix to come to church. But Lord, what if she hits me, God? What if she gets her walking stick and she just hits me because she wants nothing to hear about the gospel, right? And by the time you get in the car, it's gone. It's too late. The Lord, he tells us, hey, what's in your hand? The Lord, he wants to use you where you're at right now. It's not next season. Lord, right now, I'm just a young couple, so Lord, you can't use me. Lord, right now, I'm a grandparent, so Lord, you can't use me. Lord, right now, I'm single, so you can't use me. Maybe next season. Maybe further down the road. Lord, maybe when I have less money. Lord, maybe when I have more money. Lord, maybe when I have more kids. God, maybe when I have less kids, right? And the Lord says to Moses, hey, what is in your hand? And family, that is what he asks us today. What are you doing right now? Are you willing to lay that at my feet and allow me to use it for how I want to use it? Right? What's in your hand? Maybe you're the teacher and you have the PowerPoint presentation thing in your hand. Are you willing to give up, man, that teaching and that tool and use it for the honor and glory of God? You work on a, on a keyboard, right? Are you willing to use your work and say, Lord, this is for your honor. This is for your glory. You're at home. You got the sponge in your hand. Are you willing to say, Lord, this is for your honor. This is for your glory. Whatever we find our hands to do, are we willing to lay it down and say, Lord, whatever you want to do with this, Lord, I am willing Family, don't wait for the next season. Don't wait for the, Lord, once I have a PhD, Lord, once I have my doctorate, Lord, once I have this or that, then I will serve you. No, the Lord says, hey, what's in your hand right now? Baby bottle, man, use that thing for the honor and glory of God. Verse 4, then the Lord says to Moses, hey, reach out your hand, take it by the tail. He reached it out his hand and he caught it and it became a rod in his hand, right? Moses, hey, come back here. Moses, he's running barefoot on the hot sand in the wilderness, right? Moses, come back here. We're not done. Grab that snake by the tail. He grabs it. It becomes a rod once again in his hand that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom, right? Put inside your cloak. And when he took it out before his hand was leprous like snow. He couldn't run away from his hand, but he was probably pretty freaked out, right? Verse 7, the Lord tells him, hey, put your hand back in your bosom again. He puts it back out. And when he drew it out, behold, it was restored like his other flesh. 
Again, only the Lord can heal us from our sins. Verse 8. Then it will be if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be if they do not believe either, even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it out on the dry land, and the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Again, when we go through the plagues, we'll look more in depth how each plague specifically touches on one of the gods of Egypt. And the Nile was seen as one of the gods of Egypt. Serpents were seen as one of the gods of Egypt. We'll look at that later on. But again, the Lord, he's gracious to Moses. He says, okay, Moses, you're afraid. Here's, here's three tricks, right? Here's three miracles. When they see this, they're going to know that you were sent by me. And now, again, Moses, he's the first human being in Scripture that is able to do miracles. God's done miracles. We know Abraham and Sarah, they were able to have a baby at 100 years old. We know that the Lord, he rained down fire from heaven and he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He had the worldwide flood of Noah. But Moses is the first human being given the power to do these miracles, these signs and wonders for God. Right? Moses, is this enough? Are you ready to go yet? Have you signed up the contract yet? Verse 10, then Moses says to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech, I am slow of tongue. And so the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Again, Moses is still making excuses. We know in Acts through Stephen that he was well known, well made, right? In both his actions and in his speech. Moses, he did very well in Egypt, and yet here Moses is either making excuses or maybe he's saying, Lord, it's been 40 years since I've spoken Egyptian. It's been 40 years since I was in the game. Lord, it's been 40 years since I've been in the courts of Egypt. Lord, I can't hang with them now. And again, the Lord says, who has made man's mouth? Lord, I'm too old to serve in youth, right? Lord, I'm too young to serve in this area. He made you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He's the one that knitted you and formed you in your mother's womb. Does he not know these things when he calls you to specific plans, to specific purposes, to serve in specific places? There's a movie. It's not completely biblical. It's a cartoon. It's pretty amazing. Prince of Egypt, right? And this scene is probably one of the greatest movie scenes. But you can watch that later on YouTube or whatever. And he tells him, hey, go therefore." And I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. Again, it's a step of faith. But the Lord says, hey, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to be with you. Are you willing to take the step of faith? But right away again, he says, Lord, go pick anybody else. Lord, these plans sound great. Lord, I once felt the same way. But God, you got to send someone else. Verse 14, again, our God, he's real. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he's also coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth 
and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand, and with which you shall do the signs. Right? The Lord is saying, Moses, you're complicating this way more than it needs to be complicated. Fine. You want to do this? Let's do this, Moses. I'm going to talk to you. Then you're going to have to talk to Aaron. And then Aaron's going to talk to the Israelites. Right? Moses, you're really going to regret doing this. Your brother's going to do some bad, boneheaded decisions. But Moses, this is what you want to do? Let's go for it, Moses. Let's do it. Verse 18. So Moses went. He returned to Jethro, his father-in-law. And he said to him, please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Again, Moses, he's been arguing for two chapters with God. He knows that people are alive. But what we see here is the respect and humility that Moses had. And it should be the same respect and humility we have as believers. If you're moving on from work, man, you should speak with your boss. You should put in those two weeks. You should be speaking with your parents, your spiritual leaders, right? Your pastors, the authorities that God has placed in your life. Do you ask them, right, before you do certain things? Because the Lord has put them in a specific place. Even if you're the only one talking with God himself, if the Lord is truly working, he's going to move in those authorities or he's going to give you the peace that these authorities are not right with the Lord. Verse 19, Now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go, return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. Again, our God, he's so good. He's kind. He's merciful. He tells Moses, right? Moses was probably freaking out. Lord, how can I go back to Egypt? I'm going to need, I know I got my big beard and my long hair, but Lord, I'm going to need a disguise, right? I'm still wanted for murder. My poster's in all the post offices. It's all over social media. God, the second I go in there, they're going to arrest me. But the Lord says, hey, go to Egypt. All the men who were seeking after your life, they've now died. They've passed away. So now Moses took his wife and his sons. He set them on a donkey and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand, right? That's the way we should view the things that we do in life. That keyboard you use for work, it's not just your work keyboard. This is the keyboard of God, right? That baby bottle that you're feeding, it's not just a random baby bottle. No, that is the bottle of God, right? Whatever you have in your hands, family, may we use these things to honor and glorify God. Don't wait for the next season. Don't wait till things are perfect. Use whatever is in your hand right now to glorify and worship and honor the Lord. Verse 21, the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son. My firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Again, later when we go through the plagues, we'll dive in deeper with this. Some people, they take the scripture 
spin it into all sorts of different things in Romans as well. But we know as we go through the plagues that the first six plagues, Pharaoh himself is the one hardening his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And for us, even today, we don't know where the line of God's grace ends. We don't know where that is. That there's going to be a certain point where the Lord says, okay, is this what you really want? This is the sin you really want. This is the lifestyle you really want to live. You really want to keep fighting with me here? Go. Have at it. You can have all that you want. There's a certain point where the Lord hardens our heart to a point where we're going to go into the devices that we want to go into. But hey, we'll dive deeper into that when we get there. Verse 24, and it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Talk about a plot twist here. Verse 25, Then Zephora took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. And then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. Family, this is why we have kids ministry and we don't have kids in the sanctuary, right? Hopefully today their lesson, they're not going over Exodus chapter 4, right? Verse 24 through 26. Everybody learns at their age. What in the world is going on here? We know that the Lord spoke with Abraham and he said, My covenant with you is all these promises. Now the only thing you need to do for your covenant to me is to circumcise your sons on the eighth day. Moses, he's a Hebrew. Moses He's going to free the Hebrew people, but he's married to Zephora, who is a Midianite. Now, circumcision, it was a common thing within ancient cultures, but the Lord used it as a token of holiness to signify that as believers, we are going to cut off our flesh when we want to follow him and seek him wholeheartedly. So we don't know if there was problems within the marriage, if Zephora didn't want to, and Moses did, or what's going on. But it gets to the point where Zephora knows what's going on, that she goes out, she does it herself, and she has some anger and bitterness towards her husband in it. You see, family, Moses was wanting to free the people of God from their slavery without addressing the fleshly things in his own home. And those things, they don't work. They can't coexist. If you want to be used by God, you can't be used by God on the outside. And now at home, your home is filled with the flesh. It can't go that way. The way you live out at church should be the way that you live at home. You shouldn't be here super servant, ready to go, ready to do anything. And then the moment you get home, you just tell your wife and your kids, hey, you guys go work. It's Sunday. I'm going to watch football the rest of the day. Leave me alone, right? We should be servants at home And at the church, all throughout the New Testament, those pastoral epistles make sure that the character of a man is right. And then the God is going to give him the giftings and abilities that he needs to serve within the church. If a man has all the giftings and abilities, but his character is off, it's not going to work. It's not going to fly. Right? How can Moses come and say, hey, I'm a Hebrew like you guys, when he's not doing the one sign, the one picture of the Hebrews Covenant with the Lord. Joe Foge is he's awesome. Listening to him, he says, Many times it takes more Holy Spirit. It's a much more spiritual thing to do the dishes at home than to teach a message on Sunday. 
I was talking with him. One of the things he says he regrets was taking himself so serious in the ministry and in the pulpit. And he should have spent more time with his kids and his family. Again, family, may we be the same person at home that we are here. Another good friend of mine, Chris Morris, I remember one day he was planting flowers around the church. We were doing some things at church. And he goes, oh, man. I said, what's wrong? He goes, I'm going to have to stop at Home Depot on the way home and buy flowers and plant them at my house. Because I can't be doing at church what I'm not doing at home. So again, the same is true for us. If our home is a wreck, if our kids are a wreck, how are we going to speak to the people of God and speak into their lives on how they need to discipline themselves and cut off the flesh? Our finances are off. Things are crazy. Home is insane. We can't come here and not say, hey, the Lord has sent me to speak to you. Our character, our home needs to be in order, and then the Lord can use us. Verse 27 And the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and he met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. Doesn't seem like Moses has gone very far. He's still on the mountain of God. He's still there in Horeb. He's still out there in the Sinai Peninsula. The Lord, he's doing a work. He's speaking to Aaron. He sends him out there. Verse 28. So Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. And then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. And then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel. And that he had looked on their affliction. Then they bowed their heads and worshipped. Again, family, the Lord, he sees where you're at today. He sees if you're being afflicted right now. He sees if you're selling yourself short and you're living in sin. He sees if you're living a prodigal life that you're just wasting away the goodness and the fruit that God has for you. He sees that. And he doesn't want to just leave you there. He sees that and he wants to work those things out of you. He wants to come and be the Savior for you past, present, and future. He wants to free you from those sins. He wants to free you from that slavery. He wants to bring you to a land that is good, that is fruitful and plentiful. But we need to be willing. The Lord, he may be calling you here to, man, share the word of God with people at work, at family, at the home. Are we willing to say, okay, Lord, if you're willing to use me, let's go, Lord. I know if so-and-so would ask me to come and hang out with them or serve with them or work for them, Lord, I would do it for free. Lord, how could I say no to you? 